Welcome to the Death Panel. To support the show and get access to our second weekly bonus episode out every Monday, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. This week's patron bonus episode was a fantastic conversation with Silky Shaw, who is the executive director of Detention Watch Network, which is a grassroots organization working to abolish immigration detention in the United States. It's a great interview. We talk about the Biden administration dropping the ball on its promises to end the Trump era usage of an old public health law called Title 42. So if you'd like to hear that bonus episode and support the show, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism and request it at your local library, or follow us at deathpanel underscore. So we are most certainly once again bracing ourselves for a COVID wave with very few remaining pandemic protections in place. So for today's main feed episode, we're going to take a look at this incoming wave of COVID in the United States, a wave that, to be clear, has already hit us for sure, although you wouldn't really necessarily know it due to underreporting, lack of communication, and overt attempts to gaslight people and minimize the current state of the pandemic. Which, of course, the Washington Post, were you going to talk about the Washington Post uh, story title, which frames all of this as uh, how many people are being infected with COVID? Who can really say? Right, yeah. I like to I like to think that right now we are in what you could charitably call a narrative vacuum. That's a good way to put it. I mean, um, this time, this uh, silent wave uh, with this sort of narrative vacuum, we face a really unique challenge because of a lack of testing and because of the CDC's overhaul of the county level risk map um, in late February, which turned it from an angry red to calm pastel green overnight this latest wave of COVID is really hard to see, which we're going to get into more detail um, on in a moment. Nevertheless, we may not be able to see the full picture, but we know for sure that cases are up. And despite that, the CDC is still not recommending putting pandemic protections back in place under its new pastel community level map, which has practically been engineered again to project the appearance that everything is fine, even as cases explode. So if you look at the old CDC transmission map called community transmission level right now. It's all red again. I mean, heavy duty red, meaning that we have substantial or high transmission across about 66% of counties right now. And this is a super hard contrast with what the CDC pastel community level map shows at the moment, which currently shows only 4% of counties recommending masks because hospitals are not yet full. This is something I think within the context of this episode, I want to make sure that we just return to and almost do like a refresher on because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we talked about uh, this at length, like as as soon as the new CDC guidelines were put forward, were instituted, we did an episode doing a deep dive on this uh, called "Lying Like a State," talking about how much of a negative impact, how bad this was going to be, mm-hmm. really. And it's pretty clear that that has been borne out. So I think it's just worth kind of returning to that explanation because it's one thing to kind of say it's it's one thing to very obviously like look at the map and see like okay, one is like full of red and the mm-hmm. other one looks like everything's just fine it's another thing i think to just again kind of revisit like what exactly is the new system concealing right right? exactly no absolutely and i i think that right now this is the biden administration's beyblade moment this is uh, merely their latest let it rip moment i should say but it's um it is a moment where we are moving forward with discussion of you know pandemic protections is something that are really not really on the table at all right now. And the situation with cases is essentially framed as, yeah, well, we're definitely in the middle of a wave, but it's going to have to get so much worse before we're going to be forced to do anything, before we feel the need to intervene. Yeah, which is sort of a, it it reminded me, I have to say, of something that people who study water call the uh, hydroelogical cycle. (laughs) Uh, which is a stupid name, I know, but it is it's <laughs> the way that people talk about droughts and the fact that that most countries who experience that experience droughts have like a really terrible framework for understanding how to respond to them, which is that you know, obviously water follows a cycle. Droughts are a cyclical event 
They happen with some level of regularity, predictability. They have awful, really terrible consequences. But the moments when people are paying attention and, you know, illustrate some willingness to do something about them is precisely the moment when doing something actually will make the least impact uh, on your ability to prevent all of the sort of awful fallout from from a drought. And then really, as soon as the drought is over, you know, any sort of effort to like build up sort of drought preparedness, you know, dissipates. And I think it's not as if that has been that concept is is like an obscure one to anybody who's paid attention to what's happened over the last two years. It's certainly even people within the Biden administration certainly know this, but it's like pretty obvious that when you spend, uh, you know, six months or so under, you know, intentionally sort of underselling things that it there the grease will not be on the wheels. Right. Well, and I think importantly, like, I think it's that we're in this moment where sort of even any pretense of taking proactive measures is gone. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. And I think because of this point of the fact that the positioning right now is essentially, well, we're going to have to wait for it to get much more bad before we're going to do anything or before it becomes necessary to intervene. Um, I want to start with sort of what's what's going on, because it's actually untrue to argue that we aren't already swamped with cases in the United States. And part of the reason why perhaps it doesn't appear that we have the problem at our fingertips that we actually have is because access to testing right now is lower than ever. This is like historic lows for underreporting of cases. We have the lowest amount of testing ever. And the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which is known as IHME, they're estimating right now that only about like 10 to 12 percent of cases are being captured in the official statistics right now. Yeah, which is huge. Like other reporting says, for example, that you can assume that whatever infection rate is being reported, the actual figure right now is somewhere between five and 10 times that amount, which is, you know, which tracks exactly with what you're talking about, this IHME number. But just to think about that in terms of just like, okay, take whatever number you're seeing reported and then, you know, imagine it multiplied by five or 10. And that is more likely where we're actually at. And that's not, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's, that's uh, how to put it. It's, it's not like that's some like connecting the dots on the pin board thing or something. This is just like pretty publicly acknowledged universally. Right. right. Well, there's a lot of home testing that's going on, right? I mean, the Biden administration is uh, sending out more home tests, which I think well, a lot of the test centers that like were would be reporting to public health departments and to the CDC have like shut down. Right. Or and then you also have or whatever. Right. And then you also have places like D.C. who just wholesale stopped reporting to the CDC in late April and hasn't still answered why they've stopped. And so you have all these sort of contingent delays that are happening. You have closures. You have the fact that people are doing mostly home testing, you know, the Biden administration is sending out more tests and they can say, you know, all they want, you know, people need to have access to testing in order to live with COVID. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is very little testing going on that we actually are capturing a picture of. Um, And just to compare this really to like other previous points in the pandemic, pre-Delta, right, before Delta. So the first wave of the pandemic we were capturing about 60% of cases officially on the record. After that, during the Delta wave, that was only about 43% of cases. And that's reflected by the increased use of rapid flow home testing. Then during the first Omicron wave, we only captured 26% of cases. And now we're only at between 10 and 12% of cases. So we are hitting, I think, a milestone Not just in that this is our first invisible wave of COVID um, by the testing numbers, but also in that this is our first summer wave of COVID. And it's coming in a time of year that for for a long time, many have just assumed COVID cannot really happen during. I think a lot of people have felt really safe going back into their activities between the CDC messaging, the new all green map and the fact that it's COVID. And for years now, people have been messaging that COVID is seasonal, which we didn't necessarily know. But now we're seeing a lot of evidence that 
I don't know if it really is. I think also something, uh, a couple of pieces of information that help kind of make sense of this and put this into context. I'm just going to take these are coming from um, Caitlin Jettelina, who is hardly a COVID alarmist by, Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. One is if we take case under reporting into account, we're already at higher case counts than we saw during the first two waves. Um, (laughs) If we compare U.S. states to 195 different countries that collect similar reporting data, 18 U.S. states would themselves be among the highest places of new case numbers in the world. Yeah, we have to wait until we're swamped before they'll do anything. And (laughs) and um, this is also I think is important because I think a lot of there's a lot of sort of media attention, for example, on places like New York or just in general, the Northeast, where there are rising case counts. I know that, for instance, like New York City just hit the even on the community level rating basically just hit high transmission. So they're, you know, in a position again to, well, (laughs) they technically should put like a mask mandate back in place, but basically they've just issued a kind of general recommendation to mask again Mm -hmm. in New York city. But anyway, this is important case, uh, case rate change, like case accelerations are not it seems a regional phenomenon right now. They're happening all over the country. All over the country. Um, And that's really important. Like there's no regional pattern to this, which suggests really, yeah, like a national, a national resurgence of the virus. Absolutely. And I'm so glad. hot ICU summer, if you will. Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought that up, Artie, though, because one of the lines that's been really frustrating to hear, especially from people like Jaws, like, well, we're seeing a lot of cases. Yes, but... A lot of these cases that are exploding are exploding in highly vaccinated areas, like implying that, you know, these are kind of like safer. They're not, you know, they're not going to make the mistake of calling it mild again, right? Like they already got <laughs> yeah, like... They're just using different synonyms for mild at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is this. I would call this there's there's been a phenomenon that I think we picked up on a bunch of different in a bunch of different episodes. But I think I now have a name for it, which is the magic bullet theory of diseases, right. <laughs> uh, which is that like, you know, we all know how diseases work, but there are also there's there's a certain kind of disease which happens to be the one that's spreading around the country right now, which also has these magical properties such as it only really spreads in highly vaccinated communities. Right. Like it doesn't like, you know, you don't have to worry about it in schools like you don't like the And. There have been different iterations of this. You don't have to worry like about it in schools, at work, at restaurants, anywhere. You don't have to anywhere that you're <laughs> asking specifically about. You don't have to worry about it there. Just it's all you know. It's it's a general threat. Wherever it is, it's just wherever you're not asking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 uh, Heisenberg. So it's like it is wherever you're not. That's that's yes. that's what you what you know about it. Absolutely. Um, no, but I, I but I think that there is you know even if you don't have a completely credulous, you know, response to that when you hear it, right. Even if, even if you are inclined to disbelieve that, because you know, I mean, let's also say that it's your job to ask follow-up questions and you do, and you come to learn like that, that might be an, you know, a, a, a misstatement um, about the nature of diseases. Like you still print it. It still gets said, it still gets rehearsed. And it also happens to be a thing that many people, I think, enduringly want to believe. Yeah. And the, the and, and that point, the work is done. Right. And as much as we don't want to believe it, you know, th- this thing is persisting because we haven't yet taken the steps uh, to do what's necessary. And we do need to uh, ask people, even if you're not going to like do the math, like even just asking people voluntarily Will you please do this thing? This is important. This will continue to worse. Hundreds of people are dying every day uh, because you're not doing this. And that's not a tolerable. Right. That, that, that should be intolerable to us. But there is this perceived, uh, I think, political risk of asking people to do anything at all, right. even voluntarily. I mean, I like to think about this as I've been kind of trying to wrap my head around what the sort of feeling is now because and we've you know, we've talked about this a lot in recent episodes, but it it was it is really, I think now, especially with how drastic case under reporting is and how very like Mm -hmm. how many like we are really now truly in the territory where like a lot of the, the indicators that we had previously used to understand where we are in the pandemic are either less reliable or they are legitimately underplayed. Like maybe something, you know, some clear 
signal will happen uh, about them, like things are getting bad about COVID. And then, you know, it's it's almost like a blip, like, oh, should we talk about this? Should we make a big deal about this? Um, and I think the, the way I've been thinking about this is as like, so if, for example, I, I think that like for a certain extent over the last year, it's like if you if, let me if I can sort of propose an analogy to a certain extent over the course of the last year or maybe over the course of 2021, uh, it was sort of like imagine you're in a room and the fire alarm is going off. Mm-hmm. But instead of getting up to leave, everyone was kind of sitting around and talking amongst themselves saying, you know, hey, the fire alarm's going off. But <laughs> That's not like the fire alarm for this building, right? You know, we don't have to necessarily, do we have to get up? I'm not sure. So if that's what like 2021 was like, I think that between case underreporting and uh, the CDC's new community level system showing us this green map, even though we're clearly in the middle of a wave, it's sort of like the CDC had like the bright idea to just like take the battery out or something. So now like the room is filling with smoke and we're left with this question like, well, the fire alarm should be going off right now. Right. right. But like, it's not. So do we have to right. do anything? I don't know. Is Does that make smoke sense? still fire it's if fi- the fire alarm isn't going Right. Off. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly what it what it feels like. And I feel like we're also trapped in this moment where they, you know, the administration has said over and over and over again, no, we are making this transition. This is the transition We are decoupling cases and infections. We're no longer concerned with infections anymore. Now our only priority is to preserve hospital capacity, right? This is the whole shift that was signaled by JA coming on and replacing Jeff Science and bringing in this new era of the endemic mild vibes like vaxxed and relaxed COVID Biden, you know, second year, right? This was like the whole energy that they've been projecting is that, oh, no, no, we're we're in control because we're really worried about the hospital capacity. And like, we've got our eye on that. But the fact of the matter is, is that where we stand at the moment, we're three, four weeks out from hitting the point where we do threaten hospital capacity. And I think the it's a valid question to look at that and say, well, you know, if this is where we're going, then how does not acting now protect us from overdoing hospital capacity later? Your your plan is not to prevent hospitals from being overloaded. Your plan is actually to only react once hospitals are overloaded. And right. if that's what your plan is, then you should be fucking clear about that. Well, right. And in fact, I mean, and maybe this is a good time to kind of just return at least briefly to a couple of points about what that shift meant when the CDC changed in late February. It's uh, guidelines on masking and its sort of risk assessment for the country to this new community level metric because you know again we we, we've talked about this a lot but we when we kind of often i think mention it in the shorthand but you know i don't want people to necessarily have to always like go back to that episode line like a state or like then or like dig through the interminable cdc website to like learn how fucked up the cdc community level guidelines are um and i just i i think that thing that you said b for instance about like oh well you know what is the point of your of your system if it's like, you know, three, four weeks from now, hospitals will be overwhelmed and it's just like, that's fine, uh, apparently. Um, and, you know, we talked about this when we first discussed this um, change to the CDC's community level guidelines because mm-hmm. that is actually explicitly how they're set up. It is, it is supposed to be um, allegedly a prospective um, system that looks at Basically, once you hit high community transmission, or not community transmission, sorry, misnomer there, because that's actually what literally the old system was called. It's intentionally confusing. And I mean, and that's like a really good, clear, clear example of like number one error or like, you know, false uh, vibes committed by this new system. But so the community level system in the community level system in this new guideline that the CDC instituted in late February you will only see it change to high, like the risk rating for a particular county change to high when you are basically at a point where already it is baked in that within the next three weeks, basically, or over the course of basically the next three weeks, your hospital capacity and a a number of other factors will already basically be overwhelmed. You're basically already factoring in the fact that there will be this prolonged period of fucking immiseration for no reason, basically. And this is because in part, and you know, I won't go through all of it, but I think just a couple of things to highlight here 
is, um, you know, under the old system, again, which was called community transmission level. So they just dropped the transmission part from it, which is exactly what they actually did, because they basically de-emphasized cases. They de-emphasized actual transmission of the virus. Whereas under the old system, the community transmission level system, if you had 100 cases per 100,000 people, that qualifies your county immediately for high transmission. That is, you know, red flag waving like things are very bad and again obviously before that too percent of counties right now right obviously before that too masking would have been recommended in the new cdc community level designation case spread is only one factor so Mm -hmm. they de-emphasized it they made it so that it's until you hit a threshold that is literally double that 200 cases per 100,000 people the case metric does not shift the calculation at all the rest of the calculation is all done based on hospital capacity, basically. Right. We explain more about how that calculation is done in the in the other episode. But what's important about that is because it is set up to be this like perspective forward looking thing of looking towards the next three weeks of like what was going to happen in terms of increased illness and death in a particular county, right? What is fucked up about that and never really acknowledged i think we only even we mentioned it once in our episode but basically like because the high because the only level at which under the new community level system masking is recommended by the cdc is that high level where already you have so much immiseration baked in mm-hmm. right this system also essentially admits that increased masking is correlated with decreased hospitalization Right. Right. I mean, yes. if the if the one valve that they have is to change like, OK, on, at high level, if you're if their only goal is to like protect hospitals, not to keep people alive or right. to keep people from, you know, getting long COVID or whatever, if their only goal is to protect the hospital system and masking is the you know one recommendation that they add at the high level, basically, mm-hmm. to keep that outcome from happening then, you know, it's an explicit acknowledgement more or less that like, yeah, in fact, regardless of your vaccination status, if you do mask, if people are fucking masking, then you're less like then people are less likely to be ending up in the fucking hospital. Right. Yeah. I mean, the truth is still like things bad time to mask. They just moved where bad was to a much <laughs> well, higher threshold of bad. Well, the right. thing I was talking about before with droughts, it like it takes this thing about this, the, the measurement that I want to like hit on is that it takes this feature of the way that we tend to respond to problems, which is reactively rather than proactively trying to do, you know, uh, you know, relief or response rather than prevention. And it builds that into it, the, the, the metric, It, 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 it actually takes something that at the very least, as bad as we might have been at that, having a metric that is based actually on what, the like a, a fairly easy to reproduce metric of, of like what infection rates are in a place and replaces that with a very convoluted uh, metric, which only it's like if the fire alarm only went off as, you know, the embers were, you know, taking off the, you know, the uh, the paint in your kitchen and, and like the walls of the bathroom. Like it's it's really it's a bad it's a just a bad device. Or three weeks after the fire, actually. <laughs> or three right. weeks after the fire, right? I mean, and it it does seem to me that if you think about the the effects that, that device has in the world, it, I think it has two effects. One, um, it actually does make, you know, it, it, its immediate effect was getting people to not mask as frequently, which then uh, increases the sort of potential uh, for uh, spread like that was the most immediate thing that the, the right. new guidance did is it allowed organizations, state local governments, basically everyone to like completely converge on one strategy, which is like, you know, masking, if it happens, is going to be really sporadic. Uh, an uneven involuntary now. It's a personal um, decision. And yeah. events right. were restarted with vaccine only um, controls for getting in. So you even right. saw people dropping drop. So on the one hand, it guarantees like a a greater amount of spread um, because of that. The second effect, however, is that and and I 
I can't show this. I don't have data for this, but I do think that the dropping of the mask mandate and the changing public opinion is like at the very least partial evidence for this, which is that at the same time that it is creating the propensity for a uh, more uncontrolled uh, spread and a harder to recognize in advance, like harder in a sense to do preventive work in advance. It also is reshaping the cognitive environment in which policy is received um, by mass public. So it is also telling people that when new things happen that are bad or untoward, that you should regard them not as the product of conscious policy choices, but as anomalies that have no explanation that no one could have predicted and that no one in fact can control. It actually, it sort of reminded me of what um, Pete Buttigieg said the other day about the uh, baby formula crisis, which is that he, he sort of affirmed is like, well, this is a horrible crisis, but like, but one thing you should know is like, this is a capitalist country and one thing we will not be doing is produce it. We will be not be using the capacity of the federal right. government. And that's a good thing. But that is the federal government's job as regulators to help ensure. As regulators, yes, plan. but let's be very clear. This is a capitalist country. The government does not make baby formula, nor should it. Mm-hmm. Companies make formula. And it is sort of interesting because that's a very stark and ugly version of this, which doesn't scan like it doesn't scan. Like mm-hmm. it's so it actually does. If his his it's funny that Buttigieg's father was like a Gramsci and maybe he is trying to like heighten the contradictions. I don't know. Um, but the uh, I, I doubt it. Um, but the uh, you know, it's almost as if his father had written that uh, Lathe of Heaven style. But the the this is a much more, I think, subtle and insidious uh, version of that, which is you simultaneously do something that has a uh, measurable uh, effect in the world, but that very thing that you do also reduces people's acuity to recognize what it is you're doing and in fact reminds them that it is not you who are responsible for this. It is either themselves and uh, or, or other uh, irresponsible people or mm, fate. I mean, yeah. it's like better just go read your horoscope uh is is i I said it's like if your horoscope says like don't go outside today you'll get like you know (laughs) don't go outside today i mean i think that's the the net effect of it well and I, i think a really important sort of thing to keep in mind too is that the sort of way that we understand where deaths and hospitalizations are going, right? That's a process that's like highly malleable, right? Because it's a lot of like forecasting based on a lot of different factors that are up in the air. One of them is that we've got, you know, high transmission. So if high transmission is a factor in what the CDC is going to be using to do their own modeling to predict when we're three weeks out from overwhelming our hospitals and then we hit that, you know, threshold under the new system, then it's absolutely kind of unbelievable to see that it's then neglected and sort of de-emphasized in the public facing messaging. Right. right? Because it's like exactly on the back end, the CDC is super fucking clear that high transmission is going to like increase cases. And yes, we have Paxlovid. And yes, they've increased access to Paxlovid over the last four weeks. But no, I don't think that necessarily 100% guarantees that they're going to just completely like, you know, zero out the ridiculous decision that they made to switch to this new system, which is not just a new system of counting and risk and understanding risk, but is a new system of um, recommendations, right? Which put the bar so high and that acknowledge and embrace this high transmission state, right? right. Which is, again, reflected in their backend modeling as being a condition of how they predict where deaths are going. Well, and this is why we harp on this so much again, because it's like this was an entirely new semantic model of like how to understand the entire fucking pandemic, basically. Right. I mean, can't remember exactly what I said to this effect at the time, but I certainly uh, do feel now at the very least that this 
I think I felt for a while that we'd probably look back at this as likely one of the most impactful decisions or changes that the Biden administration will have made this year. Like, and I mean, possibly this will probably be true of the entire Biden presidency. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, but anyway, the, the, this, this though, the things that you're saying though, I think are, are why I also like make that point about, you know, masking being correlated to hospitalization too. Cause it's like, you know, again, there's this, this golf, as you're saying, there's, you know, they're messaging this in one way and it's not actually like, if you look at their own model, it's not that they're just like that they just don't like understand this at all or whatever they 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 understand that there's like to use a crude term a dialectic here like <laughs> you remove non-pharmaceutical interventions you mo- remove covid protections and cases will go up and if cases go up then hospitalizations and deaths and things like long covid will right. also go up and implicit in their own model is that understanding implicit in their own model is an understanding that like, okay, once we reach certain thresholds with things like hospital capacity, time to put masks back on, because that means that if, if less people are masking, more people will die. Right. It's like very, it's like very obvious. No, but anyway. instead it's like the vibe is like you, uh, an adult turning to a child and handing them a, a handful of pebbles and saying, no matter how many pebbles you put in this glass of water, it will never overflow. Right. And then just watching as the child fills the glass of water with pebbles until it overflows and then telling the child, no, there's not water on the table. We're big on metaphors today. I guess we are. But part <laughs> of the frustration, you know, and this is not just in terms of hospital capacity, these same contradictions are present, for example, in the COVID, um, the CDC's modeling for COVID deaths and projections. And their modeling has actually gone back and forth over the last two weeks. And it's been a little confusing and dramatic. And shout out um, to Alexander Tin, who covers COVID for CBS News in D.C., because he's been following this really closely. And early in May, they projected, you know, we've got high cases, we're going to be looking at deaths, right? And they got called out for it by your usual cadre of COVID minimizers. And so the following week, they backtracked And they sort of walked back their prediction saying, well, uh, we're not saying that deaths are going to increase. We're going to say they they're likely to increase. And this message obviously like contradicts what they had presented the week before. But what it does correlate with is like the messaging that is coming out of Ashish Jha's mouth, who's saying we're at the lowest point of deaths ever. And they're probably going to stay this way because we have increased access to Paxlovid. But the fact of the matter is that this week's CDC projections, even though they backtracked the week prior, they are now forecasting a likely increase in deaths. And even with all of this work, all of this rhetorical labor to try and manipulate the perception of where this one death projection calculation was going over the past three weeks, even with all of that intellectual work, you're, it's still impossible for them to put out a projection that reflects the messaging that they have decided to go with no matter how many people get sick, no matter how many people suffer, and no matter how many people die, they're going with it. And it completely contradicts everything that like we see with our own eyes and that which you know reporters see and that the data modelers are clearly seeing themselves, right? And this is I think, you know, an absolutely frustrating time for for anyone that's paying attention right now. But because we have this kind of, you know, invisible pandemic wave that is way more frustrating, I think, than a lot of the other waves we've experienced in the past. And and I think that the response of the Biden administration to a lot of what we're saying might indeed be to point to their efforts around vaccines or uh, Paxlovid. But it is not as if we are, you know, rapidly approaching a situation where things will get worse and it is also because it's getting worse going to get easier to go get <laughs> vaccinated or to get Paxlovid. I mean, if you think that that's the case, I I sort of wonder if you have, uh, you know, regular experiences with not being able to get your insurer to cover things, not being able to afford the things that are covered um, or just not having insurance, which is the situation for, for millions of people. So, you know, like that is maybe a good reason that we should talk about where things are with the, you know, utterly flagging uh, vaccine effort 
uh, in the United States. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is really important because basically, uh, like, obviously, it's been a huge headline thing, right, that there's stalled funding for anything COVID related, that that lack of additional funding is starting to basically impact the ability for like vaccines to even be Mm -hmm. basically provided in the U.S. Obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But I think that actually I I like this. There's this uh, stat news piece that talks about sort of like what will happen if there's not additional funding for vaccines in the U.S. And it starts with like the most crass, insane line that I have, I think, seen in a uh, piece of like kind of straight COVID news reporting in a while, which is, quote, the federal government has distributed COVID-19 vaccines and treatments for free so far, but most likely the handouts won't last forever, <laughs> which is just interesting. Anyway, um, but basically it's like, so essentially, you know, according to, for instance, Politico, there are conversations happening inside of the White House concerned over the long-term ability of the COVID response to continue happening. According to this report, both people in Congress and people from within the White House have essentially floated or suggested the idea of sort of beginning uh, or quickly transitioning to essentially private insurers completely taking over the like vaccine distribution process, essentially, you know, kicking it back to like, I mean, basically this can all sound really technical, but I think what we're essentially talking about with this is something that is really tragic actually, which is that again, so many of the factors that we have sort of, I think a lot of people really have taken for granted as part of the U S COVID response. The idea, for example, that like, as it currently happens, the U S government buys vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and whoever then distributes that to states and distributes that to pharmacies and all these things. And so those things get basically provided for free to those locations. You know, there are other things um, in between like the actual delivery of it or whatever, but the actual like cost of purchasing the bulk amount of all the vaccines um, distributed in the United States so far has been on the government. Yeah. And with that going away, this new reality that we're going into is like a, a even more fucked up scenario. Right. Absolutely. And the pharmaceutical executives like have been ready to transition to non-pandemic pricing for a while. This is something we covered, you know, back in summer of 2021 when all those contracts leaked, which already had this post-pandemic pricing clause built into them. Right. And so you have all of this, um, all of these comments also from from, you know, people working in pharma right now who are saying we're getting ready for a 100 percent private vaccine market this fall that they expect to not have this federal funding. That's literally the Moderna CEO. Right, that. exactly. Yeah. And that to me is really kind of terrifying to think about all of the kind of over-the-line things that were in some of those contracts that, for example, Pfizer issued, like the terms that Pfizer issued to countries in the global south, right, where they said, listen, you know, um, you've got to put up all of this collateral and you've got to waive all of this liability and waive the, the sort of right to, like, have any kind of recourse if something goes wrong and these are the conditions that we're willing to sell it to you under just to imagine, you know, how much control these corporations are going to have as a result of Biden honestly dr- dropping the ball on managing COVID in the United States. So much of how, um, you know, the the WTO talks on the technology transfer of COVID vaccines has have gone has been influenced by, you know, the U.S. prioritization of making sure that these vaccines are still profitable to the companies that are offering them. And even then, you know, there was some baseline intervention in costs, right? Because everybody agreed that it was an emergency. But once you remove the veneer of emergency, right, like it is, you know, every man for himself. And I think that's like very clear um, in terms of what we're approaching, where you have the Biden administration really seriously talking about, well, 
you know, these next generation vaccines that everybody keeps thinking of, you know, the variant specific vaccines that that people people tend to talk about as kind of like, oh, well, this is like maybe our magic bullet out of this after this. And maybe this is the one that'll work. Oh, well, maybe we'll do those, but they'll only be available to high risk people. So going into it, there's already discussion of like vaccine rationing on any future products. And if our you know, plan is that everybody's going to get infected three or four times a year. We're going to need two to three boosters a year. And also boosters are going to be a fully private market. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck? Right. No, no, that's but like this is the thing, which is that at that point you have to actually acknowledge that this the line that was, I think, in one way or another, really implicit in Build Back Better, which is which is a really you know, wonderfully um, uh, sort of contradictory uh, phrase, the back and the better uh, being (laughs) the contradiction there, uh, which is that we can fight the pandemic with, you know, the tools that we have. You you can fill in the details on what the last part of that sentence has included, which is like, is tantamount to saying we don't need to do blank in order to successfully fight the pandemic. We don't need to have a mask mandate. We don't need to radically overhaul the way that the sort of public health bureaucracy works in the United States. We don't need to have Medicare for all. We don't need to have public manufacturing of things that we need in a pandemic. And we don't need to uh, radically overhaul the IP regime. It should be like manifestly clear that each of those statements is sort of like being tested in real time throughout the pandemic. And each of them is wrong. Every single one of them is wrong. But but then when you think about actually who staffs, you know, the, the White House and, and the agencies, like there is a huge glut of people for whom that level of or capacity to, to like reimagine what government looks like. And, and what the response of the state ought to be uh, in, in moments of crisis, there's a lot of people who have been trained their entire careers to explicitly reject all of those ideas as completely infeasible, undesirable, not part of the American, you know, <laughs> mainstream of policy thought. And, you know, one New cadre needed uh, inquire with help help wanted require inquire within, but at the same time, it's like probably necessary also to to sort of name and shame the kind of like body of thought and the training that goes into telling people that you can have this sort of like death rattle neoliberalism uh, remain and solve a pandemic. You can't you can't do both right. of them at the same time. Not possible. Right. I mean, and that's why I bring up like. If, if you're one of these people, for example, who thinks that like vaccine hesitancy or whatever is like the problem and the reason that we're not out of the pandemic and not all of these other like political decisions that were made by the Biden administration, then like, wouldn't you want the vaccine to be free for everyone, even mm-hmm. including especially like people who don't have insurance, for example? I mean, like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that like shortages and rationing of major medical therapies or like vaccines for example are uh i'm pretty sure as an american i was taught that that's a communism thing right i mean i'm pretty sure that that's not uh even though you know obviously i'm like joking or whatever like capitalism is about (laughs) rationing based on you know yeah your your ability to pay or whatever but like still it's yeah i don't know it's ridiculous right and i think the situation that we're looking at right now is that we have this kind of dual and conflicting narrative that exists right which is that the united states is like done and covid's over and everything's great and you know uh states should go ahead and spend that remaining covid money on public safety and you know equipment for the police and whatever the fuck you know biden had a press conference on friday the 13th ironically where he like stood up with a bunch of sheriffs and basically said that you know during summer there are waves of crime that explode across the country so use that pandemic money to invest in public safety before the crime wave explodes the summer and it's like crime wave explodes the summer what the fuck are you talking about there's going to be a summer 
wave of COVID and it's your fault and you're directing people to put more money into the police instead of, you know, put back in place or fund the most bare minimum public health initiatives and mitigations. It's one of the most tragic and, you know, frustrating things I think I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, and I have one final thing I think to say about the vaccine rationing uh, thing that is clearly, it seems, um, it seems pretty clear that that's going to happen. And I think what is really kind of almost galling and fucked up about this whole situation, especially in the context of like having spent, as you were alluding to, be all of this time dragging their feet on and like making sure that like the trips waiver didn't happen, for example, is that like just on a base level, they're doing medical imperialism wrong. Like if I'm yeah. just calling out what the U.S. state would <laughs> want to do, technically speaking, like let me read you a quote, for instance, from the political report about vaccine rationing that's coming. So, uh, quote, Biden officials have stressed to lawmakers that securing funding is now critical to the administration's preparedness later this year, particularly when it comes to purchasing new vaccines meant to target Omicron variants. The government can't commit to purchasing them until it has the money, sparking concerns that competing countries will get first access to the limited supply or that the U.S. will only be able to afford enough shots for the highest risk populations, unquote. And so um, <laughs> whoopsies. And so, like, again, like, in other words, I think you're I think in this case, if you're like the U.S. state, right, or if you're, you know, one of its representatives, like you're going to really wish you'd maybe like, I don't know, gotten around to like the fucking trips waiver at a minimum or just said like what patents like, oh, yeah, that's cute. We're in a pandemic and we're the fucking state like we'll just make this ourselves. Right. right. Because like and obviously that wasn't going to happen under this particular regime. But like, do you not get why? so many people outside of the United States like fucking spit at your bullshit behavior <laughs> as a global hegemon when you make sh when you do stuff like make sure the US is first in line for vaccines like the whole reason that this market quote, like market quote unquote is so fucked up is because it operates as an extension of US property regimes right right like we have the, like the u.s fought for this to happen and biden can't even do that right right well and this is why it's funny because it's <laughs> like i like when people engage in like conspiratorial thinking or whatever about like oh yeah the, the you know making big moves about the state like have you met the united states you know what i mean <laughs> like this is like a bunch of children playing empire and they don't even know how it fucking works you know what i mean <laughs> and you can't even enjoy it because it's like it's not to say like it, it's so yeah okay so the Yes, it's it's almost kind of it could be funny in the abstract or something like they can't even figure out that it, it's actually kind of in the U.S. imperial interest to like, you know, to make sure that they're buying a bunch of these vaccines in bulk, which then like, again, props up their property regime to make sure that they're like first in line or whatever for their citizens to like pro project this big, uh, you know, chest thumping national image or whatever. And it's like you can't even enjoy that they're fucking that up because like <laughs> the end result is not going to be it's not like, oh, if the U.S. isn't like first in line, snap, yeah. <laughs> like snipe, sniping vaccines or whatever, that like those are that the remaining ones are going to be more equitably distributed or something. It's just going to mean that like less people fuck, that it's just going to mean that a bunch of people in the United States die on on top of things like the whole like the system that the U.S. like had a huge hand in setting up is not going to in the absence of the US like swinging its fucking dick around decide to like all of a sudden like equitably distribute this to the rest of the world or something it's just like you know what i mean oh, right it does sort of speak to the cast of mind though that uh the the top policy people kind of inhabit which is that there's not i mean there's not even a sense i think for many of of, of how to use the power that you have even in cruel and, and, and sort of Machiavellian ways to get what you want in a way that staves off, you know, uh, m misery for people. Because, because I do think like on the one hand, I think there is just a kind of rule following factory where instead <laughs> of producing people that have any vision for anything at all, be it Imperial or whatever, you produce a bunch of people who, whose main professional ambition is to do whatever people superior to them, you know, tell them to. And then at some point they get made into that person and right. <laughs> they're like, well, who, 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 whose rules do I now follow? Oh, I make them. Oh, I better just, you just do whatever my predecessor, let me look at what my predecessors notes. I'll just do that yeah. like that. But let me not have any, I, 
the Lord deliver us from ideas. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> just like that's the prayer uh, of the, um, you know, the, the policy professional. So no, I, I but I think this, uh, all, all of the threads that we've been kind of pulling on in this discussion today kind of illustrates that there is like something happening within the state uh, professionally that, that, that causes even bad actors to not be able to know how to use the power that they have in, in completely bad ways. And, and so you have to ask the question, like, how are governing cadres being formed? How are people getting into government? Where, where are these ideas coming from? And I do think the sort of uh, attenuation of the relationship between any sort of mass organizations and, uh, and, and in a way, even um, of, of more nefarious uh, elite organizations and the people who are making these decisions is there. I mean, there's just, there doesn't seem to be people are in the driver's seat, but they're driving on like terra incognita. Well, and I think, you know, this obviously, as I was saying, we are, even if we can't totally see the full picture of like where cases are right now, even if there is this kind of debate and back and forth over whether or not we're even still in a pandemic that's actively being argued in the kind of public discourse that is a less important question as to whether or not like what we should do in the midst of this current level of spread, but it's nevertheless the question that most people are focused on right now. Like, is this even a problem? And I think it's so overwhelmingly clear looking at just what we've talked about over the course of the last hour or so. We're at a point right now where we need to make some really quick and I think abrupt maneuvers in order to fulfill that promise of like doing anything to protect hospital capacity. Because I think a lot of people have been assuming going into this kind of um, shift to the uh, endemic COVID phase, right, where we were going to stop caring about the virus and it wasn't going to control our lives and we were going to not worry about masking anymore. And that very clearly has not borne out well. And we're only a couple weeks into it. And I think last summer when there were these similar decisions made later in May, it took two months to change course, right? But to me, that just shows that right now we're in a position going into it that we already know this is a mistake. And I think it's time to put a lot of pressure on people that this, you know, at a bare minimum, we need to do something like move back to the old community transmission level system, which in and of itself is actually a good system to use in a moment where we have no access to testing, like right now where there's so little testing in terms of what our official picture is, and we have all of these reporting issues and delays, there were provisions in the original community transmission level system, which not only does that system recommend masking at lower levels of community spread, it also had these built-in triggers, which were supposed to deal with what happened if there were no tests in a county for some reason, or if there were these situations where there was not a lot of testing beyond people who were potentially symptomatic, for example. And in that scenario, the old system was basically looking at, okay, so of the tests that are happening, what percentage of those are positive, right? And that gives you sort of this other alternative way of trying to trigger masking and social distancing and non-essential closures. And that gives us time to do things like upgrade air filters. And it gives us the foresight to cancel big events or not just require vaccines before events, but start requiring testing, you know, day before day of and masking during well, the event. And and I and I think it's like if you're this this idiotic idea that you can only politically claim credit for relief and not prevention just completely ignores the fact that like one thing that you can absolutely and should absolutely claim credit for is here and and is entirely feasible to do given projections that would like you can absolutely say here are the number of people who did not get sick there's the number of people who did not die as a result of taking more precautions i think that that's that idea that that's somehow a politically no win is insane to me uh, especially after the amount of death that people have experienced uh, i think it's it's preposterous but even more broadly i think the idea that it is somehow acceptable for you know the main metric the government the government is using being one that is preventing us from actually seeing what the situation is that that is something that is politically it, sh it should be politically uh intolerable yeah and you know it's, it's certainly something that 
at the very least, forcing the government to uh, defend why it is using such a faulty uh, metric or have to explain that uh, is like the absolute barest minimum uh, that we should be doing right now. Well, I mean, and let, let me put it this way uh, with the with the community level guidelines that the CDC issued in late February at the high level, at the high alert level or whatever, high high risk level is the only level where they recommend masking below that. They say basically, you know, if you're at high risk, quote unquote, then literally they say, like, ask your physician whether you should like consult your <laughs> physician, whether you should mask or not. And let me just, I guess, say that at a minimum, that is unacceptable if it is not ask your physician. And if you cannot afford a physician, one will be provided to you, <laughs> et cetera. That is, you know, no public health document issued by a state that does not have universal single payer or a national health service should have anything on it that reads ask your physician. And it's tough because on one hand, it's like, oh, yeah, there's so many things that we could like put back in place that would help that have been, th you know, things that have been systematically taken away. But also like we've again, we've like never done the things that we needed to do mm -hmm. against COVID. And so like, you know, yeah, at a minimum, we should roll back to like the community transmission level metric as opposed to like this new bullshit map that the CDC just, you know, Dan to put out in February also, at a minimum, it is pretty clear that I think like vaccines and testing and treatment should continue to fucking be free in perpetuity. Like you're not going to the idea that they're what you're going to like continue the public health emergency beyond July, but also beyond July. It's like what going to be up to whether you have health insurance as to whether you can get a fucking booster. Or well, not. if like, the public health emergency ends, then the cost sharing agreements are over. So people with private insurance plans are going to start paying a heck of a lot more for any covid related care as soon as the public health emergency ends well, yeah. so on top get ready it, for that everybody that's and on on top of it actually and this is very fucked up um the only things the only covid therapeutics and vaccines that are approved like blanket fda approved like actual approval not provisional like emergency use authorization the only things that are approved are the primary series vaccines so like your first two shots of the mrna vaccine for example pfizer or moderna like boosters are not FDA approved, um, Paxlovid and all this stuff is not FDA approved. It's still emergency use authorization. So actually, if it got kicked to the private market, technically the private market can't fucking buy those things and well, they distribute can't sell them it until it's because, approved. Yeah, right, because it's under emergency use authorization. And Moderna, the CEO of Moderna, said in a shareholder call, like, oh, even though the government is uh, paying us sixteen fifty per shot now, we're thinking about charging Medicare sixty. Right. So it's like all of these sort of shifts, all of these small symbolic shifts that like people think that they're making towards like normalcy they actually have these horrific compounding effects and it's actually not that much work to take a step back and say maybe we should just stop making it worse and reconfigure our approach a little bit but the only way that's going to happen is if people feel comfortable applying that necessary pressure to the Biden administration because right now I think there's a lot of discussion in the discourse of like yes this is going on is this really happening or not and that is sucking up a lot of energy that should be used um, you know to frankly demand that we shift course here demand that we make changes in our COVID response before it's too late before we let these things expire you know they're in recent memory there have been really innovative changes to the ways that we do, um, you know, drug studies in the United States, which were brought on by the work of groups like ACT UP, like Anthony Fauci was in NIH and in that like room when that was happening. He knows that with enough pressure, you can innovate some of the strategies. Why not make now a moment to, you know, pressure the FDA to approve the vaccines, but only under the condition that they, for example, you know, be made available at no cost to the public, right? Like we could be rethinking how we approve drugs. We could be thinking about incorporating price controls into our approvals, but this isn't even anywhere close to what's on the table because we're too busy arguing whether or not we're actually in a pandemic and whether or not these deaths that are all around us that everyone can see with their own eyes are real happening or matter. And it's fucking bullshit, right? Like we're wasting time. It's time to make some real demands. It's not that difficult to understand right and i think that's a good place to leave it for today what do you guys think yeah, yeah. sounds good
Don't forget that if you're feeling like the pandemic discourse has you really alienated, you can always join the Death Panel Discord. It's a great forum to hang out and vent off social media and amongst other listeners of the show. And you do not have to be a patron to join. The link to join is always in the episode detail or description. And if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. To help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism, or request it at your local library, or follow us at deathpanel underscore. Patrons, we will see you Monday in the bonus feed. For everyone else, we'll catch you next week. And as always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
Let's get ready to a sheesh job. Baby's, baby's first COVID-19 response team briefing is happening. Wow. Just a big moment in every in every man's life. Yeah. I remember when I did my first COVID-19 response team briefing. <laughs> All my family was there. They're very excited for me. Yeah. Folks, we're going to be transitioning to a new phase of the pandemic. <laughs> Vaccines will be solely provided at the discretion of participating Arby's locations. Uh, <laughs> That's the new phase. Yeah. 